0: At a conversation Jesus had with some Pharisees who were with that formerly blind man when he confessed his faith in Jesus as the Messiah and and worshiped him. And as always, as we go through this conversation, this this chapter, uh, I'll have the verses up on the screen. You can follow along that way. Many of you. Uh, like to follow along uh, in a Bible app or in a, in a paper Bible. If you're here this morning and you don't have either of those and you'd like a paper Bible, our ushers are coming down the aisle, and if you'll just signal them somehow, they'd be happy to uh, put a Bible in your hand. And if you don't uh, have one at home, please feel free to just take this one as, as our gift to you. Now, before we uh, jump into this story, let's, let's pray together. And before I pray, I want to ask you just silently uh, to pray. I want to ask you to invite Jesus to speak to you today. Listening to him speak to others, we need him to speak to us. Ask him to do that. Lord, I pray that you would uh, answer that prayer this morning and that you would speak in a way that every one of us would understand we have heard from you, uh, not just heard from the preacher. Uh, So I pray that your voice would come through my voice this morning and that our ears and our hearts would hear and receive what you have to say to us. Let pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to take a quick sip here and um, and then we'll get to it. Well, our conversation this morning is mostly in uh, chapter ten. But as I mentioned uh, last week, it it really begins at the end of chapter 9, which is on page 862 of those Bibles the ushers just handed out. And I want to set the scene uh, just, just a little bit, review the story from last week just a little bit. Jesus, uh, at, the, at the beginning of, of chapter 9, Jesus saw a man who had been born blind. And uh, he decided to heal him, kind of an unusual way. He made some mud put it on the man's eyes, told him to go wash. The man did, and he could see miraculous healing. And then the Pharisees uh, launched a series of interrogations uh, with this man's neighbors, his parents, twice with the man himself. And, And all of these were designed to somehow disprove that Jesus had really healed this man. And the Pharisees concluded uh, that Jesus was a sinner, controlled uh, by Satan, by evil. And that the man that he healed uh, must also be because he believed in him. And so they threw this man out of the synagogue, really uh, uh, threw him out of the the Jewish community, the the life of the the community. And, And when Jesus heard that they had thrown the man out, He found the man. He went and found him. And he asked him, do you believe in the Messiah? Do you believe in the Son of Man? And the man said that he wanted to, but he didn't know who he was. And then that, that wonderful part of the story where Jesus says, you're looking at him and you're talking to him right now. And at that, remember, the man fell on his face And worshipped. He worshipped Jesus. And and worship actually uh, turns out to be a key theme in these conversations that John has recorded for us. In chapter 9, some people's vision, this this man, and and this has happened in in other of the conversations that that we have seen. Some people's vision gets more and more clear, right? And they see Jesus for who he really is is, and they worship him. Other people, it seems that their vision gets more and more clouded, darker and darker, and they are really at war with Jesus. Um, We we might make the distinction this way, belief or blasphemy, Uh, receiving him or rejecting him. Worshiping him or at war with him? And those are the choices put before the people in these conversations. They're the choices put before us as we listen in. There's no no middle ground with Jesus. Uh, He's either Lord of of the universe, worthy of our worship, or he's a liar and a lunatic that should be avoided at all costs. That's, that's sort of where things fall. It's, it's one or the other. There's, there's no room with Jesus for, he was a really good teacher, I think. Jesus just doesn't allow that. I mentioned last week that, the, that uh, chapter 9, verse 39 is, is sort of the hinge uh, of the conversation from with the blind man to the conversation with the Pharisees. John didn't write in a, a chapter uh, break here. In fact, he'll refer in, in chapter 10, he'll refer back to the blind man uh, in a little bit. Uh, so we're going to pick it up at John uh, 9, verse 39, and then we'll move our way through. Uh, John nine thirty nine. Then Jesus said, I came into the world to bring everything into the clear light of day, making all the distinctions clear so that those who have never seen will see and those who have made a great pretense of seeing will be exposed as blind. The, the, the man who had been born blind had not only received physical sight but also spiritual sight and that's why he fell on his face and worshiped Jesus. But John lets us know here that Uh, There are a group of Pharisees listening in as well. This wasn't just Jesus and the man. And on one hand, it seems that they know Jesus is talking about them. Uh, On the other hand, in their religious arrogance, they can't fathom that there's any truth to what Jesus has just said. And so they say in verse 40, Are you saying we're blind? hear the arrogance there? Verse 41, Jesus replied, If you were blind, you wouldn't be guilty. But you remain guilty because you claim you can see. In other words, yes, I'm saying you're blind. But since you refuse to acknowledge your blindness and you pretend to be able to see everything more clearly than anyone else, I can't help you. And then to prove his point, Jesus gives them a quick eye exam. Are you blind or not? Um, And that's where we start in chapter 10. Okay, there's no, again, there's no break there. Uh, Jesus said, if you were blind, you wouldn't be guilty, but you remain guilty because you claim you can see. I tell you the solemn truth. It continues right on. Anyone who doesn't enter the sheep pen by the door, but climbs in some other way, is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. The doorkeeper opens it for him, and the sheep hear his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought uh, brought all his own outside, he goes ahead of them. The sheep follow him because they recognize his voice. They will never follow a stranger. Instead, they will run away from him because they don't recognize the voice of strangers. John tells us in verse 6 that this is a parable or an illustration. Some of your translations might say a figure of speech. And at this point, Jesus doesn't specifically identify any of the characters in the story. He simply telling a story. He's he's just putting it out there to see what the Pharisees will do with it. And the illustration is one that that everyone in first century Palestine would have been familiar with. In fact, most people in 21st century Palestine would be familiar with it because the way shepherds uh, tend and care for their flocks today isn't much different than, than the way it was 2,000 years ago. So what is that? Well, sheep were kept in pens when they were not out grazing. And the pens were usually uh, made of, of stone or sometimes um, uh, uh, they had uh, 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 briars and, and sticky things. on t- I'm blanking on what word I want to use there, but... Uh, and, it, and it was in a circular shape, and at one point, there was a gap in, in that uh, wall that served as the door. Not, not a door like we might uh, think of here. Maybe, maybe it would be better to say a doorway. Okay? And Jesus says what would probably have been obvious to, to everyone... He says that anyone who climbs over the wall instead of going through the door has no business of being there. They're thieves. They're robbers. Now these sheep pens that Jesus is referring to here were probably communal, meaning they they held the flocks of several uh, shepherds in that community. But the doorkeeper knew the various shepherds that were supposed to be there and, and let them in. And then the shepherd would call uh, his sheep, who, by the way, recognized his voice, and then the shepherd would lead them out to pasture. And there are many, many stories uh, of shepherds doing this still, but just by their voice alone, they can call out uh, sheep from, from multiple flocks, they can call out their own sheep just, just by their voice, right? Right? Um, my grandfather was a was a cattle rancher, which is different than a shepherd. Uh, cattle are different than sheep. I I know. Um, I I had a, a great uncle who was a, a shepherd, actually, and you know the, the sheep and cattle wars are a real thing. But one of the things that I remember about my grandfather's cattle ranch was the way he called uh, the cattle in. Uh, he he he'd go out to the, to the, uh, the field where, where they were, and he'd, he'd yell, Come, boss! I don't actually know what the word is. I think it's a combination of come and bossy, like bossy the brown cow, or something. I don't know, but that's what my grandpa said. Come, boss! And amazingly, to me, as a kid... Uh, those, those cows would all start moving towards the barn. They just knew. And over the years, I, I, I studied how Grandpa said, Come, boss! You know? I, I worked on the, on the exact pronunciation, the, the inflection, even what he did with his hands when he said it. Everything. They never came for me. <laughs> Why? It wasn't my grandpa's voice. It wasn't, it wasn't just the words. It was his voice that they recognized. They knew his voice. There's something else that all uh, Palestinians would, would know about sheep, and that is this. You lead them, you don't drive them. Now, uh, I, I think uh, Australians and Americans do this differently because they drive sheep with, with, uh, with dogs, with horses, with uh, four-wheelers, you know, get them rounded up. They, they do it more like cattle, right? But that's not how it's done in Palestine. Uh, I, I read a story this week about a tour guide in the Holy Land who was explaining this to his tour group on the, on the tour bus. And right after he explained it, they came across this flock of sheep being driven by a man with a, with a big stick. And uh, the, the tour guide asked the driver to stop, and he got off the bus and went and talked to the man. And, and when he got back on the bus, he announced, that's not the shepherd. It's the butcher. Oh, cool, yeah. <laughs> kind of pertains to Jesus' story here. Well, one thing we know for sure, Jesus isn't just telling a story about sheep and shepherds, right? There's a spiritual truth that he's making. It was an eye exam for these Pharisees. So he's, he's very intentional about what story he's telling, these, these Pharisees who think they can see just fine. And most Bible scholars make a strong connection between Jesus's words here in John 10 and the prophet Ezekiel's words in Ezekiel 34, in Ezekiel 34, God speaks judgment on the shepherds of Israel. The shepherds of Israel. We could say the pastors of Israel. Pastor and shepherd are the same word. He says there, woe to the shepherds of Israel. You have not strengthened the weak, healed the sick, bandaged the injured, brought back the strays, or sought the loss. But with force and harshness you have ruled over them. They were scattered because they had no shepherd and they became food for every wild beast. My sheep, this is the Lord speaking, my sheep have become prey and have become food for all the wild beasts. But my shepherds did not search for my flock but fed themselves and did not feed my sheep. And John 6, uh, or uh, John 10, 6 Uh, tells us that the Pharisees didn't understand what the point uh, was that that Jesus was making. They failed the eye exam. Uh, They didn't get that he was calling them thieves and robbers, that, that they were the shepherds of Israel that Ezekiel spoke against. They didn't understand that Jesus was saying, your time's up. Uh, I'm going to call out a flock of my own sheep um, who will listen to my voice and follow me. Now there's, there's basically three sections to this larger section that we're uh, looking at today. Uh, the first section is in verses 1 through 6, second is in verses 7 through 10, and then the third is in verses 11 through 18. And one way of organizing and understanding what Jesus is saying is that in the first section, he's telling the Pharisees that he's gathering a flock. This is what I'm doing. I'm gathering a flock of my own. And in the second section, verses 7 to 10, he's telling them why he's doing that. Uh, It's not random. He's doing it for a reason. And then in the third section, verses 11 through 18, he's telling them how he's going to accomplish it. So we've seen already in verses 1 through 5 that Jesus is going to call sheep out who, who will recognize his voice. And let me just say, he still does that today. This is not just a story. This is real stuff here. Jesus still calls sheep to come to him. Uh, he still calls people to come to him. And so a question that, that I keep Asking through this series is can you hear him? Do you hear him? Is there something about him that just it just has this ring of truth? It it might sound crazy, but it it has this ring of truth to it that is that is calling your heart to follow him. Are you listening? Well, after John tells us that the Pharisees don't understand, they don't get it, Jesus continues. And I think not so much because he's still talking to the Pharisees. Others have gathered now, and so he's going to, they don't get it. They failed the test. He's going to continue to talk to anyone who might listen, anyone who will hear his voice. And so he tells them why he's gathering this flock. Verse 7, so Jesus said again, I tell you the solemn truth. I am the door for the sheep. All who came before me were thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved. And he will come out, or come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come so that they may have life and may have it abundantly. There it is, just about as plain as you could possibly put it in verse 10. The thief comes to kill and steal and destroy. Jesus came so that you could have abundant life. Verse 9 tells us that that anyone who comes through that door, which is Jesus, will be saved. Something we we usually think of as as going to heaven instead of going to hell, And, and, and that's true, but Jesus is offering so much more than that. Don't settle for that. Jesus is offering abundant life, life to the full and and Jesus is the doorway into that. He's saying the same thing that we'll hear him say in John 14. I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. Anyone who comes to the Father has to come through me. You see, in Jesus all of our deepest longings are met. They're satisfied. You want someone who cares about you more than they care about themselves? Jesus cared. He died for you. He cared more for you than himself. You want to know that you're loved? I mean, really, really loved? The Bible tells us that he has loved us with an everlasting love and that nothing... Nothing can separate us from that love. You want purpose and meaning in your life? How about this? We were created to reflect the very image of God. We're His image bearers. That's what we were made for representing the creator of the universe. We we mess that up big time. But Jesus is restoring that in us. He's given us that purpose back, that meaning back. Man, that's incredible. If we would, if we would grasp that, if we would take that seriously and, and, and step into that, wow. Maybe for you this morning, one of your deep longings is just to be finally done with those things that that seek to steal your joy and kill your soul, you know, destroy your life. Jesus offers to do that. And all of that and more is what he's talking about when he says he came to give us abundant life. And then I think he, he points back to Ezekiel 34 again when he says that all who came before him were thieves and robbers, this means not only the, the shepherds of Israel in Ezekiel's day, but the shepherds of Israel standing there listening to his words. So that's the, the, the answer to why Jesus is gathering a flock of his own, to give them abundant life. But how? How's he going to do it? Verse 11 I am the good shepherd. Now, Jesus just said he was the door. I, I don't I remember someone saying it's a bad idea to mix metaphors. Okay? We're not gonna get hung up on that. This is Jesus talking and he knows what he's doing. Okay? So stick with it here. He's the, he's the way in, and he's the shepherd. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. The hired hand, who is not a shepherd and does not own sheep, sees the wolf coming and abandons the sheep and runs away. So the wolf attacks the sheep and scatters them. Because he is a hired hand and is not concerned about the sheep, he runs away. Verse 14. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that do not come from this sheepfold. I must bring them too, and they will listen to my voice, so that there will be one flock and one shepherd. Jesus is talking here about Gentiles. If you're a Gentile, which is probably most of you in this room, Jesus is talking to you here. That's kind of cool. Here we are in John 10. All right. Verse 17, this is why the Father loves me, because I lay down my life so that I may take it up again. No one takes it away from me, but I lay it down of my own free will. I have the authority to lay it down, and I have the authority to take it up again. This commandment I received from my Father. So let me ask you, uh, Jesus told us what he was doing. He was gathering a flock of his own. Uh, He told us why, to give them abundant life. And, And in this section, he's. He's telling us how. How does Jesus secure this abundant life for his sheep? Did you catch it? Let me put it all on one slide here. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. I am the good shepherd, and I lay down my life for the sheep. This is why the Father loves me, because... I lay down my life so that I may take it up again. No one takes it away from me, but I lay it down of my own free will. I have the authority to lay it down, and I have the authority to take it up again. Five times in just eight verses, Jesus says it again and again. The way he secures abundant life for his sheep is by laying down his life for them. Of course, Jesus is pointing toward the cross here. In just a few short weeks, he will die for the sins of the world. And sometimes when we tell this story, um, we, we, we focus on an aspect of it that, that implies something that, that we should not hear. Uh, make no mistake, Jesus is saying, This was not just some unjust lynching that wicked people did. It was that, but it wasn't just that. Jesus willingly laid down his life, taking on himself the sins of the world. That's what a good shepherd does. The hired hand runs away when trouble comes. The good shepherd runs headlong into our trouble, meaning our sin. He says to the wolves and the thieves and the robbers, you can't have them. They're mine. I died for them. He died in my place and your place. But we should ask ourselves a question in this shepherd-sheep metaphor. If the shepherd dies for the sheep, where does that leave the sheep? Unprotected, right? Now they're really vulnerable. Some of you know the name Philip Keller. He was a sheep rancher who wrote about Psalm 23. He also wrote about this passage in John 10. And in his Books. Keller spends significant time talking about how utterly helpless sheep are. Uh, By all accounts, they're dumb. Uh, My sister and I had a couple of sheep when we were little. They're dumb. They really are. Uh, They have difficulty finding food on their own. Uh, They they wander into desolate places, sometimes walking right past good pasture. Not smart. Uh, They're they're both timid, Keller says, and stubborn. Sometimes they're frightened by the most ridiculous things, and other times they're immovable when there's real danger. And, he says, sheep are absolutely defenseless. Uh, Dr. Robert Smith of the philosophy department at Bethel College once said that the existence of sheep was the prime evidence against the theory of evolution. They summarily disprove survival of the fittest. There is no reason we should have sheep, right? They're not smart enough to make it on their own. And we might be offended that our Lord compares his people to sheep. But if we're honest, I think at many levels anyway, the illusion is probably a pretty fitting one. And that's why it's so significant that the good shepherd didn't just lay down his life. He took it back up again. Why is that important? We need a living Savior. We need a living shepherd who will continue to protect us, continue to intercede for us. And here Jesus is clearly talking about the resurrection. His death paid the price for our sins, but it's his resurrection that that invites us into that abundant life. So Jesus is, is gathering this flock of his own so that we can have abundant life, and he's accomplished this through his death and resurrection. There's one more thing in verses 14 and 15 that I want us to see that I think is really incredible. Jesus says that he knows his own and they know him. And then notice what he compares that knowing to. He compares it to the intimate knowing of the Father and the Son. From, from eternity past, the, the Trinity have enjoyed this intimate relationship with each other and just as they know and are known by each other jesus says that we can know and be known by him we're being invited into this intimate relationship with jesus with the trinity with god that's amazing so, what do we do with that invitation? Chapter 9 was, was about seeing Jesus for who he really is. Uh, chapter 10 changes the metaphor to, to a shepherd and his sheep, and the question is, do we hear his voice? Uh, further down in the chapter, verses 26 through 28, Jesus says that his sheep hear his voice and they follow him, and that those who do not hear his voice are not his sheep. Do you hear him? We you see him, will you follow? John ends uh, this section by telling us about the response of the crowd that was listening to Jesus. Verse 19, another sharp division, we've seen this before, another sharp division took place among the Jewish people because of these words. Many of them were saying, he's possessed by a demon and has lost his mind. Why do you listen to him? Others said, these are not the words of someone possessed by a demon. A demon cannot cause the blind to see, can it? And these verses bring us back to where we started. Some of the people are saying that Jesus is either demon-possessed or insane. Others point back to the healing of the blind man and say, a demon couldn't cause the blind to see. He must be from God. Some say he's deranged. Some say he's divine. So what do we do? What will you do? Are you one whose who's vision of Jesus is getting clearer or darker? Do you hear him speaking words with with clarity into the chaos of your heart, the noise of your heart? John says in chapter 20, I've written these things that you might believe. And I wonder for any here today or or watching from home, would you say, I believe, I believe. Will you uh, receive him? Or reject him. Again, there's there's no middle ground. Will you worship him? Or will you continue to war with him? Let's pray. Jesus, I, I pray that I have done justice to your words. Recorded for us in this conversation. But more than that, I pray for ears to hear your voice inviting sheep through the door and into the abundant life that you offer. And so, even as we continue in worship, I pray that you would be speaking to everyone in this room, me included. May we all hear your voice and follow you. Amen.